0: What's going on? Jason Bay? here. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. So uh, you're in the right place if you're here looking for actionable tips, tactics, strategies to help you get more meetings from your cold outreach. So if you're sending cold emails, cold calls, hitting prospects up on LinkedIn, and you're looking to really start conversations with complete strangers and turn them into qualified opportunities and you know paying clients and that sort of thing, you're definitely in the right place. Today we're talking to Skip Miller. He's one of my favorite authors of one of my favorite books called Selling Above and Below the Line. And we're gonna get into how to outbound to C-suite executives. Let's get to it. So if you've been listening to the show or following any of the stuff I post, you know I'm a really big fan of the selling above and below the line framework that Skip talks about. Great book. Go check it out. The concept is that the way we, especially the way that we do outbound to someone that is a VP or in the C-suite is very different from someone that is maybe a manager or user of a product. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see reps make across the board, both when it comes to selling and when it comes to outbound is... They talk to people in a language that they either don't understand or they talk to them in a language that they don't care about. So when they're talking to that VP or that person in the C-suite, they talk about how the product works, the pain points that it fixes, how it makes the person's life easier, how cool the dashboards are, all of that cool stuff. And the thing is, is that when you talk to an executive, they really don't give a shit about that because they want to figure out because they are more outcome driven, how is this in three, six, nine months going to help me with the KPS that I'm in charge of? So if it's a sales leader, it's how does how does this drive quota attainment? How does this increase morale so that we can hit our revenue targets? How does this get more meetings into the top of our funnel? How do we convert more of the people in our sales funnel? How do we close deals faster? Those are the things that they care about. They don't care about how much time it would save me to use this specific sales engagement platform when I'm sending emails. They don't care that it would make faster personalization and less of a pain in the ass or that it would increase reply rates necessarily. Everything is a means to an end. And the opposite of that, below the line when you're selling to or prospecting to people that would be using the product, let's say, or people managing the people that would be using it, that's the time to talk about features and functions and those are the people that wanna see a demo and those are the people that wanna see a workflow and how it could help them fix this specific pain point So Skip is just the master at this. He's gonna talk about the differences between those two things. We get uh, into a bunch of other things too when it comes to outbound. You're really gonna enjoy this one. Got a quick favor before we dig in. I'd love if you could leave a rating. If you listen to this show on Spotify, there's now a way to leave ratings on Spotify podcast. If you just open up the Blissful Prospecting page, it should be pretty obvious there on the left side of your phone screen you click where it says five stars there and you rate the show i'd really appreciate it Let we'll get some more eyes and uh ears on the show let's get to the interview with skip so uh i know you probably get on a lot of podcasts and talk a lot of tactics and stuff like that but i uh i'm kind of curious for you how would you describe like your personal like selling style
1: um <clears throat> i'm pretty straightforward okay. and being a former vp of sales and president of companies I pretty well speak above the line. When someone wants to talk about my stuff, um, I, I don't do that well. Um, I, I talk yeah. numbers all the time. I, I just got an email from somebody who's starting off to be an SDR and she was a math teacher. And I said, mm-hmm. stay with the math because Jason, I just got a prospect on the phone the other day. I go yeah. in 2022, what's your potential revenue stream? A hundred million. How confident are you of that hundred million? about 80. So you got a 20 million gap. What I mean, that, that my outbounding style is if there's what's the size of the problem? Because if you don't have a problem, why are you going to talk to me? So my outbounding style, my, my sales style is pretty straight to the point. And if there's a problem, let's work on it. If we can fix it and help fix it. Great. If not, no yeah. harm at all.
0: Have you always been, I, I didn't even look to see where you're from, but is that, are you from the East coast? Has that always I'm been from, like kind of a I'm thing Cleveland. for you? Have you always I'm been Cleveland. like
1: that? I'm a Browns fan, Indians fan, or Ohio State yeah. fan. I'm, I'm from Cleveland. And the problem is my wife's from Pittsburgh. So then we got a problem.
0: <laughs> so have you always, in, in terms of sales, if you could think back when you were you know, getting started as a rep and kind of working your way up through the ranks, were you always that sort of straightforward with people? Was that something you had to learn? Where did that come from? <laughs>
1: I've got a big family and we're pretty much always straightforward with each other. So when we get together all the time, but I can still remember Jason selling computer-aided design and manufacturing systems, CAD cam systems. Yeah. And some of my fellow salespeople were like engineers. I mean, they could even like do a demo and I don't even know how to read a blueprint. I mean, I'm not not an engineer, so I couldn't learn the product to be product smart. So I had to come at it a different way. And the way I came at it was, What's your problem? <laughs> what's the <laughs> problem? And, and how do you plan on fixing it? And I remember going to the Hoover vacuum cleaner company. And the head engineer, I was in his office, the VP of engineering. I go, so what's the problem here? And I've got my brochures and my briefcase and stuff. And he goes, You see that right there? He goes, that's our concept three vacuum plan. He goes, from design to manufacture and production, 21 months. He goes, you see that? And he points to a clay model. He goes, that's our, our latest vacuum cleaner, our, our concept four. He goes, from design to production in 18 months. He, he pulls out a, a drawing, and it's a Mitsubishi or Panasonic vacuum cleaner. He goes, you see this? Design to manufacture in 11 months. He goes, you see this? This is our next vacuum cleaner. If it's, bef- it's designed to manufacture in let- more than 11 months, it's my job that's why I'm buying CAD cam. And I never brought out my brochures. I'd brought out anything because that was the problem they had. Their design yeah. time was too long or whatever else like that. And that's what, what, you know, a lot of prospectors miss is, you know, how do, do you want my stuff to work for you? It is great, but what's the problem the customer going through and why do they have to make a change? That's the, the angle I've always been, even, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I was selling CAD.
0: Yeah. So, I want to talk to you about this emotion versus logic thing that you hear a lot in sales. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you on the logic part of it, especially when I talk to a VP or C level type person in selling situations where it's like, dude, okay, how are you going to help me? You know, with this gargantuan goal that I have, you know, um, how do you think about emotion and logic? In as it relates to sales, and we'll kind of dig into outbound, you know, but just in yeah. sales in general, how do you kind of think about emotion and logic? Is it a balance? Do you think
1: about one or the other? Do you even think about that? What What are your people buy from people who they like and they trust? You own yeah. the process. You own the deal. So that yeah. logic emotion thing, yeah, you know, Jason, we've got a, a tool, a lot of tools in proactive selling. Yeah. We've got a tool called three levels of why, and the first level why is rapport. How's it going? Good. Why are you doing that? I mean, whatever it may be. The second level of why we call rationalization. Mm-hmm. You know, why'd you buy that? Oh, it felt good. Well, why did it feel good? Well, I'll tell you, you know, this, the third level of why is what we call real. And the, one of it, an example for you would be, you know, why'd you buy that watch? Well, I like the watch. I like the color. Well, a nice color, but why that watch? Well, I like the brand, the brand's really special. And I like the brand. No, but there's a lot of brands out there. Why that watch? Right. You want to know why I'll tell you exactly why my father told me, if I'm going to invest in a time piece, I should always, and my father, Whoa, I mean, there's an emotional wall between rationalization and real. And I'll Mm -hmm. argue with anybody that decisions are emotionally based. We rationalize them and develop rapport answers. If that's true, the inverse must be true. So great salespeople's job is to get down to that third level of why. And for the most part, it's going to be emotional. Now there's logical steps you got to get through, But for the most part, you got to get to that emotional reason. So I I agree, you got to do balancing of both. But when that person sits there and goes, okay, I'll tell you exactly why we're doing it, that's that's probably more emotional than it is logical.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting, too. I mean, as you sell bigger deals, too, which you've seen this for decades now, is like there's so much internal politics around why people want to do stuff at their company, too.
1: It's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like sure. when you have
0: those candid conversations with the VP, sometimes it's like, you know, it's like a chess match, you know, for them uh, it, politically.
1: It is. You know? it is. And, you know, who's the biggest alpha dog? Who's got yep. the money? Who's got the ear of the CFO? Uh, that all plays into it. And I'll, again, I'll argue with you that that's emotional too.
0: Yeah. No, totally. So when you think about this with Outbound, the thing that's like so tough is, um, you know, you're not selling to this person. So there's not a meeting where they've opted in to sit down with you for 30 minutes, 45, 60 type of thing. Right. Um, How do you think about this in the outbound, you know, kind of context? Do we need to kind of have some assumptions coming in around some of the problems? Like, how do you, how do you kind of think, because we're kind of starting high level here. How do you, how do you think about that part? How, what we just talked about relates with outbound when we have such a short you know, kind of window to really convey information to people through email or really short cold call or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and Jason, let's make a discerning comment here Mm -hmm. where I divide the world into above the line, below the line. So above the line buyers are typically C-suite below the line buyers are typically that user buyer and outbounding to each one is different. They're two different messaging. They're two different value propositions. So let's focus on above the line. Cause that's what people should be doing right now, especially in the first quarter of 2022. So why don't we do first things first? If I'm gonna outbound, I'm gonna have to develop rapport. All right, how do I develop rapport? I'll do some homework on you. I'll do homework on the company, the industry, the geography, you know, I'm from Ohio. Imagine me prospecting to a guy from Michigan. I mean, really? I mean, that, that that's a layup, right? So, or the Pacific Southwest or the Pacific or the, the, the New England area. I can develop rapport things based upon geographic, where you went to school, who you know, what companies you might know. So that's first. The second thing is, depending upon the ATL buyer, I did a program a year or so ago for a customer that sells to the chief audit executive, the CAE. I didn't know there was one. So I Google what keeps a CAE awake at night. And there was actually an audit executive magazine and stuff and so on. I do the SKO, the kickoff. And I've got these, here's what. Here's the six things that are keeping a CAE awake at night. They're taking pictures of the slide and stuff. Yeah. No one's doing homework on what, I mean, there's tons of information out there to develop your rapport. John, my name is Skip Miller with the ABC company. I've been doing some research on 2022, and it seems to me these are the two or three top issues. If they are, we should chat. I mean, rather than here's my stuff, here's a brochure, and I'd love to give you a demo. I mean, really? Why don't you relate to the issues and challenges and concerns that your ATL-specific buyer has, and you can do homework on that. It's easy. So that's what I do. First thing, I try to build rapport, and, and maybe there's a link there between sports or geography or industry or knowledge of some company and the second thing is i'm going to do a minute or two on what keeps that title awake at night and use that language to build report example let's say you're going to go talk to a cio well who knows cios gartner so why don't you get on the gartner group you know gartner group what keeps a cio awake at night 2022 they're going to give you 20 things you can do a little research on and whatever kind of relates to your product or service. Why don't you bring that up with the with the the CIOs you're prospecting to? It's not it's not rocket science here, man.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: <laughs> I mean, geez, it's just you know, come on. But every prospecting email I get, Jason, hi, my name is my company, right? It's hysterical. Yeah.
0: yeah. So let's backtrack a little bit. So with ATL, I think that there's. I want to kind of debunk some misconceptions. I think that. At least people, when you look at LinkedIn, when you look at the content that people post about sales on LinkedIn yeah, um, and the things that people share, I feel like one of those misconceptions is that you don't have to be likable in sales anymore. I see that a lot. What do you think of that? Explain. I see a lot of people talk about some big people. I mean, we mentioned some of their names before <laughs> we started yeah, yeah. Throwing <laughs> he was under the bus, um, but this is like, um, this, like, Oh, you know what? Your prospect doesn't give a shit. Uh, if they like you or not, can you solve a problem for them? And I'm like, well, I've never known someone that's hired someone that said they're, they're really skips going to be really good at fixing this problem for us, but I hate interacting with him. Like i just never have seen that. Um, so how do you think about likability? I and mean, you said no like and trust, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a basic fundamental thing yeah. in sales. Why do you think that people are talking about this like factor? Like it doesn't matter. How do, how do you, how do you think about likability? I guess is really the question when it comes to either doing outbound selling, that kind of thing. What, what does likability play?
1: Yeah, I've had two or three customers in the last, you know, years where, you know, we started working with them and, you know, it just wasn't a good fit. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. And I mean, it's just, it just not a good fit. So we start working with this company. I get to hold the VP. I go, why you want to make this investment in sales? What's the outcome you want? He goes, I want them to think that I, I care about them. I go, excuse uh-huh. me? He goes, we got a big churn problem and we got an age issue. I want these people to think that I care about it. I go, well, do you? He goes, well, that's not important. Well, that, that goes against a core belief of mine. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be with this guy. I'm sure he didn't want to be with me. I was just a check in the box for him. I mean, I, I I strongly disagree. Now, you may love me. You know, we may be best friends. But if you're not really on the numbers and offering a good solution and really understanding my problem, then I'll go with a different vendor. I mean, I like you. But this, yeah, I still think... Jason, the best sales call in the world, the first outbounding call or even the second call is where the buyer gets off the Zoom or hangs up the phone going, they heard me. They know exactly what I'm trying to do. They heard me. And the salesperson yep. goes, I never even got to my pitch deck. That's so critical up front. But we're training our people to do this you know, 20-minute Zoom call where I ask five minutes worth of the questions and then give 10 minutes of presentation and then spend five minutes summing it up. No, your whole first call should be about the customer. So uh, the likability, I strongly think that it's really important. Now, if you're very likable, but yet there's no substance, you're not really curious about me, you're not doing all the other stuff, then it falls down.
0: I kind of think, I 100%, I think of likability like... uh... You know, in dating, if you look like Brad Pitt, that's going to give you a bit of an advantage. You know what I mean? (laughs) The person might not want to marry you if you're a freaking jerk, but like being good looking helps at least with the first impression. It's like likability is kind of like that. Make a good first impression. If you sound likable on the phone, when you cold call someone, you sound like someone that they would enjoy talking to and you bring the goods, it's just, it's it's buying some extra time
1: for you. It is. And and Jason, I'm going to tie that into natural curiosity. Yeah. If, if you get somebody on the phone and you're really not trying to pitch your stuff, you're really curious about what they do and why they have a problem, that's going to come up. I got on the phone the other day with a brand new prospect and there was three people on the Zoom call and you know we're all doing introductions. They go, Skip, tell us what you kind of do. We've heard about you and stuff and so on. I go, I'd love to, but let me ask you guys a question. Why, why are we on this phone together? What's, what's your issues? I go, yeah. I'm going to give you a genie lamp and I'm going to give you two wishes instead of three. So for 2022, what, what two wishes would you want and why, based on your own sales teams? I mean, that was a 20 minute call and it was fascinating. It wasn't like a trick question, I'm taking notes on to use it against them. I was really engaged, it was really fascinating. that wow. gotta be part of it. That goes into likability. If you're just sitting there going, I have to ask these questions to get information and then I'm gonna pitch my stuff, I think you're in the wrong business.
0: Yeah, a lot of it is uh, intentions. You know, I I think that salespeople like to think they're better actors than they actually are. If you come in with the intention that you are curious, people can just see it and hear it in your tone and they can feel it, you know, versus being forced. Um, Without a
1: doubt. And that really gets into the whole likability issue then. Because if you really want to care about my issues and challenges, right, and can sit back and say, yep, I might be able to help or You know what? What you're doing right now, if you remember, we call them trains in the train station. So, every senior executive, every above the line buyer's got these trains in the station, and they're in the station for a reason. They got a problem, and they got to get them out of the station because next quarter, new initiatives or new trains are coming in. So, I find from the CMO, these are their top three trains, and I can't help on any of them. I may know some people, but I can't help. I, mean, yeah, I really can't help you on those things. M- maybe my friend Mary might be able to because she does this work and stuff, and so on. That goes a long way because those trains are going to leave the station. The next quarter or two, new initiatives for the second half of 22 are coming in, and that person's going to remember that you didn't try to force fit something. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a long term strategy, but that that honesty, intention, likability, listening, caring about your customers, that comes through loud and clear on on Zoom, on on you know, Hangouts, on, on anything that you're, you're talking to your customers about. So, yeah, the likability factor, I think, has got a lot of branches to it, as you just said.
0: Yeah. Can you expand a little bit more on, I know I've, I talk about the book a lot and you've probably talked about it a lot, but for those listening that aren't familiar with the above the line, below the line, can you kind of quickly, what's the difference, you know, between how you engage with an above the line buyer from an outbound perspective versus below the line? What are some of the big kind of differences that are going to drive the approach and how you talk to these folks and what they care about?
1: Below the line, Jason, as you well know, is what we're taught in our training classes. It's, you know, I I start to work for a company and here's our features and functions and here's the competition and here's where you go to battle with and here's what our customers want to use our stuff for. It's great stuff. So we do demonstrations and presentations. The below the line buyer is going, checks all my boxes. That's exactly what I want. The above the line buyer is sitting there going, as I look at 2022, what I did in 21 is not good enough. I mean, I got a 20% increase in my production capacities and stuff and what I'm doing now is not going to do that. So I have to make a change. And if I'm going to make a change, this is where I'm going to make an investment. And if I'm going to make these investments, here's the outcomes I want. I want 20% increase in revenue. I want 5% decrease in cost. I want a 20% market share in Latin America. I want whatever their outcomes are. That is going to spur the below line buyer. We're going, well, Mary, if that's the outcomes you want for 22, product A I'm working with now isn't going to do it. I'm going to have to switch to product B or whatever it may be. It falls out from there. And it's so different, as you all know, we, we call it kid table and adult table. I mean, it, for Thanksgiving we had fifty-one people at our Thanksgiving. I mean, it, oh we my got goodness, fifty-one Did Did at your place too? Oh, now uh, Memorial Day is at my place. We have a big clam bake. Okay. thanksgiving okay. Thanksgiving's okay. always at somebody else's up in LA. <laughs> so we had so many people, right? We have a kid table and the adult table, and the mm. kids love it because they get to talk kid talk, and the adults love it because they don't have to talk kid talk. It's great so it's the same thing with above and below the line we learn kid talk really well features benefits all that kind of stuff and then we get a chance to build the adult table we do the executive summary of the kid table which the adult table could care less about there are two different value propositions hi i am going growing 40 percent next year for me to grow 40 percent, i need to do this this and this those are trains john i want to let you know that we can make a denton one and a denton two great the fact that you're now tied to two trains, watch how fast this deal goes down because Fred, the conductor on track one, is only concerned about what he or she wants. And therefore, it's gonna be a longer sale. But the fact that you can make a dent in two or three of the above the line trains, the line persons trains. Example, hi, I'd like to do some sales training. Why? Why? I gotta get my people ramp faster. Okay, I can help with that. What else? Well, I gotta get my managers to coach better. Oh, and by the way, I got to have everybody speak a common vocabulary because we got to shorten our sales cycles. Well, the person who heads up sales training is really only cared about ramping. They're not cared about the other things. But if my stuff can make a dent in two or three of the VPs of sales, the CROs, trains, watch how fast this deal is going to happen in like half the time. So that's why it's so different with the two different value props in that we just can't put our flag and, and going, I'm winning the feature battle and my guy, my gal is going to go make the pitch to the executives for our stuff. Really? I mean, isn't that your job? And you should have done that a lot earlier too.
0: Yeah. How do you look at the difference between ATL and BTL in terms of time frame in which they think about stuff? Like how forward thinking is an ATL versus a BTL, if you have any examples?
1: It, it's, it's two-way, Jason, right? A BTL is looking at a calendar and ATL is looking at their watch. Let's, let, let's get going. Let's move it. All right. ATLs typically live three, six, nine months in the future. BTLs yeah. live in today. What's your problem right now? I got to have this done right now. You go to an ATL and ask, what's your problem right now? they got to go. I, I don't know. Every media I have is about my next three, six, nine months. Or yeah. what's happened the last three, six, nine months. So we have a tool called time traveling that you, you want to make sure when you're speaking to ATL, you don't go to an ATL and go, hi, Mary, what's your problem right now? Because Mary's going to go, my problem right now is getting you off the zoom meeting. That's what my problem is. But we're so used to that with the BTL because the BTL is here's my problem right now. I got to get this thing fixed, yeah. which is great. But an ATL should be Mary, as you look at the first half of 22, what's your biggest challenges? Now your BTL is never invited to those meetings. So they don't know but that's yeah. why it's so different. You've got to really look at a different time frame when you're talking to those ATLs in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah. Do you find that the above the line folks tend to be a little more aspirational and goal oriented in terms of like big things that's that how they're they want to do. accomplish? Yeah.
1: Well, look, look how we, you, know, you and I got on the phone before we, we talked here, right? And we started talking about 2022, what your goals are, how are you are going to measure success? I mean, you're the ATL of your business. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask you, you know, what what right now is uh, your biggest challenge. I Man, I don't know. I'm thinking of 22 right now. Yeah. You see the difference?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. The, when I work with teams, this is this is like the hardest thing to wrap. Get people to wrap their head around because they're not talking to that C-suite person or that VP at that Fortune 1,000 company and talking to them about the next six, nine. 12 months. And it's very, like you said, you said very outcome driven.
1: Well, look at, look at the success patterns. I go to a week or a month training class. I get told features and benefits and competitive analysis. And here's what our stuff does. I yeah. go to a online line buyer. I go, what are you looking for? And they go, I'm looking for this, 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 and this. We do a presentation and demo, a, a POC, all that kind of stuff. We win, we're successful. Boom. That's how it's done. So I'm going to constantly refer to that success pattern. So when I get in front of an ATL, I'm just going to review my success patterns. I mean, they're successful, but it's the wrong thing to do because it's a different value proposition, man. Very different.
0: Why do you think that reps are so, I don't know if intimidated is is the right word, but why do you yeah. think they're so reluctant to reach out to the C-suite?
1: Um, it's a great question. My go, My guess is fear. Yeah. Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, if if I screw it up, we've got a a cool tool. Um, The day before, let's say you have an ATL and two BTLs in a meeting coming up tomorrow at two o'clock. The day before, write an email to each one. Hi, looking forward. Here's the agenda. Could you circle star highlight your top two or three things so I can make sure we maximize your time? A salesperson won't send that to the ATL. Well, no. If they get it, they're gonna go. Well, why am I coming to the meeting? And then they'll. Re- I'm lucky to get him in there. I'm not gonna mess it up. And you're like, that, that's fear. That, I mean, that's just unbelievable fear. So, what are you doing there? I think you're right. I think that you know what, what causes salespeople to be fearful of the decision maker is you know they can make a decision. <laughs> I'd yeah. much rather win with. Mary, the below line buyer going, geez, I like your stuff, Skip. Your stuff is great, yeah. right? which is great, but that's not going to help you. So it's also fear of the unknown. I, I tell salespeople, go contact 10 ATLs. Go, just contact, them. do informational interviews, anything. Well, after they contact 10, they're going, this isn't hard. I mean, I, I'm comfortable with it now. Mary, you contact hundred BTLS. You understand what BTLS want. They want your stuff. They want to talk about your stuff. They want to talk about your stuff again. So you want to talk about my stuff. I want to talk about your stuff. I have a rapport built at ATL. They want to talk like business stuff. They want to talk about me. Yeah. So it's it's a different set of skill sets you're going to have to have.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think the fear of the end. I think you nailed it there. That's a lot of what I see is it's like, since I've never reached out to these people and I don't know how to speak business speak and to outcomes, it's like, that's a frightening conversation to have when someone puts you on the spot and you don't really know like how to talk in that language, you know? And there's this, I don't know, what do you think about this? Cause I hear this a lot too, where reps like, well, if I talk to the CIO and they shut me down, this deal's done. I can't reach out to anyone else at the company. Oh, there you go.
1: There, there's yeah. the problem. Number one, why are you talking to the CIO about the deal? Yeah. All right. you, the first thing you should be talking to the CIO about is as you look at 2022, what are the changing in your train station? What, what are your challenges? And well, why would he tell me, why would she tell me, I'm just a salesperson because you asked the question yeah. and you were neutral about it. You didn't say, what are your challenges are 22 and how can I help? Well, yeah. I, I, I still remember talking to a hundred CEOs one time and uh, I asked them why would you take a sales call? And they said, of course they wouldn't. So we we're at the bar afterwards and I was talking to a couple of CEOs and I go, come on, why would you take a sales call? And the one CEO goes, Skip, you know why? You know why I don't take a sales call? He goes, because salespeople are just solutions looking for a problem. They're already keyed up about their solution. They're not really interested yeah. in my problem. They're just trying to actually you know listen for a keyword and then launch about their stuff i would love to talk to a salesperson they've been in the industry they see a lot of issues they see my competitors they see what's going on but i'd love to talk to a salesperson who, who's not a solution hunting for a problem and yeah. most salespeople, the good ones are sitting there going i don't know if i can help or not tell me what your issues are the bad ones are i've got some solutions Tell me what your issues are so I can tell you how my solution fits. I mean, yeah. you're, already, you're already scarred there. You're already biased, and that yeah. bias comes across the phone.
0: Yeah, it's the old hammer looking for a nail. Exactly
1: Maybe. right. Yeah, you're exactly right.
0: So how much um, – when you think about knowing the priorities and the goals and initiatives and that sort of stuff, how much of that responsibility do you feel like is on the rep to – come to the prospect, if I'm reaching out to you, skip to kind of say, Hey, I'm talking to some folks like you and I'm seeing some trends in these three areas. I want to know if you're seeing something the same or different, how much of that should you kind of come in? Like the demonstrating business acumen part is what I, what I'm thinking about. How much of that do you feel like the rep needs to kind of bring to the table to show, oh, Hey, this is a very different rep than that solution hunting reps that we just talked about, how much should we bring into the table? To the conversation that you know, that cold call or that initial cold email, that kind of thing.
1: Well, it's a skill set that I mean, you, you, it's still a learned skill set. You, you got to learn features and benefits of your product. You probably have to learn some. You know, I, I have not met a salesperson who could sit there and you know say, "Here's what a CMO is thinking about in 2022 in my industry." So you're going to have to do some homework on it. You're going to have to. I call it an immersion program. You got to do a little immersion. And most salespeople have got customers. Why don't yeah. you call your current customers up and say, "Mary, hey, you know, thanks for a good year this year. I'd love ten minutes of your time. Could you tell me w- what you see in 2022? So I can. You, so at least you now you're not trying to sell them anything. You're just doing like an informational interview. You're yeah. you're you're in an immersion program. I just talked to five CROs, and here's what we're thinking about. Once a quarter, I do a, a program with a with a market research company that goes after CROs, CS, you know, VPs of sales, and ask them, you know, how's COVID helping you? What are you doing differently? I'm getting great information from these folks regarding what they're doing differently regarding comp sales. Are they actually going to, you know, what are they doing with their TNL budget? Because they are getting TNL budget, they're not spending yeah. it. What are they doing with that money? I mean. I'm getting great information so that all of a sudden now when a, when a VP of sales calls me and says, Skip, what are you seeing out there? I can give them some data points rather than just my opinion. And I'm not a VP of sales yeah. anymore. So I don't have a good opinion. I got to rely on others. Same thing for a good salesperson. Go talk to your current customers. You've got some above the line people in your in your, your book of business. And just ask them. As you look at 22, what are you seeing? It'll get you on that same vocabulary then rather than just pitching your product maybe
0: yeah no absolutely yeah i love the idea of the immersion program you know just immersing yourself into this stuff because you're right i mean your customers have all of these answers i mean you have this group of people yeah they're doing business with you they're the trust is already established you're looking for more people like them like those are the best people to talk to i mean i i think that the thing that I see people not doing is like, use the sales motion to inform the outbound motion, you know, what you learn during the sales process and after post-sale, like that's all language that you can use when you're doing outbound.
1: Yep. So imagine, so a lot of our customers are SaaS. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go talk to some Forrester folks. I'm going to talk to some IBC folks. I'm going to go talk to some of my, my SaaS customers. I'm going to go talk to Outreach. I'm going to go talk to Lucid. I'm going to go talk to a bunch of customers and go, well, what are you, what are you seeing at 22? So at least I'm versed for that industry, SaaS, right? And we've got a number of industries, but SaaS seems to be one of the big ones we plan. So now uh, I kind of know what a lot of these SaaS, CROs, you know, VPs of sales are thinking about, and it's it's not anything new, and I'm not a VP of sales anymore, so I got to go talk to these folks, and it's amazing all the trends you see. Why don't current salespeople do it to their current customer base? If you're in pharma, if you're in tech, if you're in, you know, farming, whatever your industry is in, go talk to these people and find out what they're thinking about 22 do an informational interview.
0: Yeah. I love it. If we start to think a little bit more tactically about, so let's say, Hey, we got the information that we need from our customers. We know what the talking points are. How do you think about the outbound motion? If we kind of start high level from a, You know contact strategy what do you see and work well with the way we sequence and cadence our prospects
1: what i see is we're getting better at um, sequencing and touching You know, i've got an eight touch two-week campaign i've got a ten touch three-week campaign i'm seeing better with that so but the logistics is getting better if you remember a year ago people were saying you know i sent him an email two weeks ago i'm still waiting to hear back i mean that that, that, that was it and you probably still see some of that.
0: I still do. It's crazy. Yeah. I sent an email. I, I give them a call and left a voicemail and I sent a LinkedIn connect request. I haven't heard back from these 300 people. I'm like 300, that's that's too many. First off, you right. go go deep on fewer people. You yeah. know, that's just what you well, need I to did. do.
1: I contacted them over three times in two weeks. <laughs> I, I so we're getting better at that whole motion. Yeah. But when I dive into the messaging, it's terrible. Absolutely yeah. terrible, right? It's, it's, it's a novel, it's you know way too many words. It, it always starts off with, hi, what we do quickly is, I mean, geez. Yeah. So the messaging's wrong. You, you gotta get better at the messaging. It's gotta be more about me, my issues and challenges. And if you did some homework, talk to 10, let's say you're going after CFOs. You, you sell something to the CFO. Let's say you talk to 10 CFOs about 2022. Why wouldn't you lead with that? Yeah. Dear, dear Mary, Interesting 2022, after talking to numerous CFOs in the Pacific Northwest, wow, there's, that's where I live. Now you got rapport, right? Here's what it, we're hearing issues. And please remember, questions are more powerful than statements. Statements actually go to a part of the brain that's very binary. I agree or disagree. It doesn't cause conversation. Questions go to a part of the brain that rattles around and actually causes something called instinctive elaboration. When posed a question, people want to talk about it. So why would you use questions in your outbounding emails rather than statements? Oh, we like statements. We are the best. We've heard this. All you're going to get is, yep, nope. But if you pose it as a question, people are going to go, huh, that's something to consider. Maybe I should. It, it, questions yeah. are much more powerful, as an example. So the messaging has got to change. It's got to get a lot better than it is now. The cadence and sequencing is getting better. People are looking at, you just said, going more deep on some of these and right, 300 is way too many. But the message has got to change.
0: Yeah, so when you say questions, would this be like what you heard from the CFOs in that regard where it's like, hey, thing number one we're hearing is they're asking this question. They're thinking yeah. about this thing. Like that. those types of questions, or are you talking specifically the call to action or both?
1: No, or? no. I mean, you know, we just talked to 50 CFOs. And we heard this, this, and this. Yeah. We just talked to 50 CFOs and questions they had is how can I, is there a way, how can I how Yeah. Can I have those questions? It's much more rapport building than just yeah. throwing statements out there.
0: Yeah. Because then I'm thinking, as I read that, I'm asking myself that question.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. And if those questions are really good, which you're going to find some really interesting things that, you know, folks are thinking about it's uh it gets you to stop and think. I I think that there's this other side. I don't know if you see it. Yeah, ask more question. <laughs> I don't know if you oh. see this. I think people on the other side of the messaging or they try to get way too tricky with it and use weird subject lines and and have really kind of clever stuff. When in my opinion, that's not the stuff that really breaks through to the C-suite being clever. I mean, if you can also be clever, that's great. But really those impact questions Those things that really make them stop and think, like that's the thing that's demonstrating business acumen, because I, I, like these people want to know that they're like if they're going to talk to you, they feel like they're talking to a peer.
1: Right. I don't want to talk to somebody who's clever. I want to talk to somebody who's actually like a peer who who understands what my issues are. Yeah. Right (laughs) now, seventy-some odd percent of emails are opened up on mobile devices. Those first ten to fourteen words really matter. Yeah. First ten to fourteen. So I'm on LinkedIn. And I just accept, 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 accept. And there's people pitching things to consultants. So, I, yeah. you know, fine, whatever, fine, I'll accept. You know, a day or two later, I get a message. Hi, Skip, thanks for connecting with me. We are the leading provider of, you know, you, stop it. You're pitching at me now. I mean, if you if you yeah. wanted to, why wouldn't you say, hey, thanks for being on board. As, as a leading consultant, you probably have questions about 22. Yeah, yeah I do have tons of questions. I mean, start building rapport rather than just, hey, thanks for the linked. Here's what we do. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. If I could unlink them, I would. It's just, wow. Yeah. So it's- messaging is going to be really important. Questions are powerful. But you got to build up as much as sales. You've built up a good treasure trove of features and benefits and all that below the line stuff. You got to start working on above the line stuff. And one way to do it is go talk to above the line buyers and immerse yourself in what language they're talking because they're not talking below the line stuff.
0: Yeah. You've mentioned rapport a couple of times. Is, do you feel like rapport is becoming a lost art in sales or have salespeople always just kind of been bad at building rapport with prospects?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Ones who can get out of their way, right? The ones who could sit back and say, um, my job is to sell you something you got to get past that. You got to get past yeah. yourself. I mean, Jason, it's like going to a party, right? Yeah. You go to a party and you meet the people who all they want to do is talk about themselves. And yeah. you're like, how fast can I get away from that? It's the same thing in sales, right? You go to a party and you end up talking to somebody for a while. You're going to go, wow, that's a great person. I mean, I don't know a lot about them. I didn't ask them a lot of questions, but they asked me a lot of questions. They want to know about me. I think they're a great person. That same yeah. thing happens in sales. So if the ones who can get out of their way and worry about product fit and, and their stuff like a little bit down the path rather than right up front are going to be successful.
0: Yep. 100%. Um, I got a,
1: I got a customer calling me, skip, we're interested in some sales training. Why? Well, what do you want to do with it? I mean, yeah, yeah, we can kind of help, but what's the outcome you're looking for? Why do you think you have to train your reps better? I mean, what do you want them to train them better? And what's the outcome you want for that? I mean that's yeah. the stuff i'm interested in not all right you want my management course or my sales course or my sdr course i, I don't even think that way man
0: yeah i call this prospecting narcissism
1: <laughs> it's based <laughs> off of uh it's that's based off of
0: something called conversational narcissism which is in a book called you're not listening and the concept is like people do this so much in their everyday personal life where you know you bring up something uh hey i'm really excited i'm going to be you asked me like what about 2022, and I you asked me what I was going to be doing, and I said I'm going to be like writing a book. You didn't then go into oh hey I've written a couple of them and like uh, here's how it goes and here's what you like you didn't just like shift the conversation oh. into like you. Um, you asked more questions about me a support response. It was, response yeah, it was fascinating. Me. It was cool. And then people in sales it's it's a it's that constant narcissism. It's like this person shared something that's a problem that they're working on your gut instinct is to dig into why and like, learn more about that. A lot of the instinct of a, a salesperson is to talk about how they can help. And I don't think to be fair, I don't think that they're doing it on purpose. I think it's no. just habit, you know? Um, but yeah, resisting the urge to just do what you would normally do in your personal life. A lot of these people to be like, you know, where's this person coming from?
1: Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's like, I got go good. to a party and say, you know, here's some pictures of my latest vacation. I guarantee you, the person's going to go. Well, wait, wait. We already see pictures of my vacation. I mean, exactly. Yep. The same type of thing. What, what research has shown that the neurons in the brain fire are the same neurons that, when we talk about ourselves, are the same neurons that fire when we think about good experiences, good food, you know, good good things. Right. So yeah. it's, it's inherently pleasing to talk about ourselves. The same neurons fire that when we talk about ourselves, we feel good. That are the same neurons when we talk about good food, good vacations, good everything else. Mm-hmm. And what other research has found, which is really hysterical, is that these neurons fire even if there's no one listening to us. If we just talk about ourselves when there's no one in the room, we still feel good about ourselves. So it, it, it's 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 yeah. hardwired when we talk about ourselves, we feel good. And we got to make that. We got to really be a little bit more restrictive on that because. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I have this power of three thing. So I'll be talking to a customer, and they go, "I have a problem right now," and I'll actually tap my desk. That's one. Really, anything else? Two. Really, until I get three initiatives out there, trains, I can't talk about what we do, and it's hysterical on how just now it's inherent. I just start tapping because yeah. I don't want to jump at that first thing. You know, the whole shark like you know blood in the water. <clears throat> yeah. So the, the, you, you've got to train yourself. To listen more, to not just jump at that first thing and stop with the, oh, do you think that's a good vacation? What do you see? My vacation. I mean, geez, yeah. you just got to stop that. You're that narcissism thing is pretty funny. You're exactly yeah. right.
0: Well, and think of how powerful it is when the prospect leans in and is like, wait, Skip, we haven't talked about you. What do you do? How do you think you can help us? They're like tuned in now.
1: Great. Like, but it's out of time. You know? Why don't we schedule a next call? And, and now we're in call two and call three, but the buyer's got to get off the phone going, they heard me.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel heard. Right. Yeah. It's a there. Hyster- it, it, that's more important upfront in your outbounding messaging and your rapport than just throw something over the wall going, Do you think you could use our stuff, which would be all about you. And we don't want to talk about that. Why are we doing that? Right. Yeah. We, we call that, don't talk about the dog. You got to stop wolfing, yeah. You got to stop barking. You can't talk about the dog. You'll have yeah. time and educate and discovery, but right up front, don't work. Don't bark. No, 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 no. Yeah. Not, not, not kind of fun. So I got one
0: more question for you before we take off. Um, knowing what you know now about sales, outbound, all that kind of stuff, what advice would you give yourself as a first-time seller? If you could think think back to your first That's sales job. That's a great
1: job. question. You give yourself now. That's a great question. Mm. be curious about your customers genuinely curious really don't worry about selling anything yet I me mean, you'll get there but it, but without that big understanding i can still remember early in my career you know going through 100 slides or a big pitch deck or whatever else and then going what do you think huh um but that's what i was trained to do as opposed to just sit down and go why are we talking What 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 do you want to change and what's the outcome you're expecting I mean, really be curious about your customers. I mean, that that pays big dividends. So if I I had to really work on myself early in my sales career, I'd be more curious about my customers rather than, all right, I've been trained to pitch and when can I get a half hour of your time or an hour presentation pitch done? And, And hopefully it builds up from that. So for me, it would be, you know, just really being caring about your customers and being curious. That's a great question
0: yeah i was uh, especially you know
1: what would you do different
0: oh i the thing i I I... always reference is uh i the the first sales book i read was little red book of selling by jeffrey gittermer yeah and i tried too much to be like jeffrey gittermer (laughs) you know like the the advice is uh is just um like your own style people buy you you know like people buy you like really embrace your own style and kind of lean into you know, cause I'm an introvert and I just thought selling was all about being extroverted and being a talker and all this other stuff and being really loud and, you know, life of the party kind of thing. Yeah. For me, it would just be, be more of myself, be really comfortable with, with myself and, and really like own my personality and let that come out. Cause that's yeah. what people are buying.
1: Exactly. Right. People, people, people buy from people who they like and they trust and you got to own the process. Just, yeah. I tell people the same thing, you know. Don't sell like me. Take the tools yeah. and adopt them for your own style. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun. I didn't. You're an introvert.
0: Oh yeah, totally an introvert. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, if I've had a long week, I I want to like I need some decompression time to myself. Or I'll go up hiking with my wife or something. Like going hanging out with a bunch of friends is not like a ra- relaxing thing for me. Usually that that, that usually drains me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have you ever heard of an ambivert? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would there's, say I'm like the been a mix between the two, right? Everybody thinks you're yeah. internal or an external An ambivert yep. is what most people are and nobody's ever heard of it. So it's good that you've heard of it.
0: Yeah. I would say, Eileen, if uh, an extrovert is a 10 and an introvert is a one, I'm probably a three or a four.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but Skip, this has been great. Where can people go to connect with you? You got a couple of good books out. Like where can people go get more of Skip?
1: Um, M3learning.com stands for Miller and his three kids. So M3learning.com. Uh, we've got online courses. The books are on Amazon. Selling above and below the line. My latest one's Outbounding. Uh, Proactive yep. sales management. It's always been a classic. You know, so they're on Amazon. But shoot me an email. Skip at M3learning.com. If you have a question about something, you want to run a quick email by me That's your outbounding email, you want me to redline, happy to help.
0: All right, that was a fun one. One of my favorite parts about talking to skip is just, he's got a lot of experience. Work, working with a lot of different companies and a bunch of different industries, but, uh, having been a really high level sales leader himself, I think he has the perspective of what it, what it means to be an above the line executive and what he's into versus the below the line folks. So hope you dug the episode. Got one thing, just one favor to ask you before we take off. Uh, again, we can now leave reviews on Spotify podcasts. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave an honest rating. You don't even have to write a review. I don't even think you could do that, but it helps get more eyes and ears on the show. I do this for, you know, this show for free. I do it for you guys. And, uh, the big thing for me with that is, um, if this was helpful for you, I'd love for it to be helpful for another person. So if you could do that for me, I would really, really appreciate it. The other thing I want to let you know is we have a free cold call training up on our website it talks about how to increase the conversion rate of connected calls into qualified meetings and specifically how I worked with Ethan Parker to get his cold call conversion rate from you know, a little over 10% to a little over a third you know, in about a six-week time frame. And I, I run you through the framework, and he shares everything that, that he's done, and he's, he's coaching over an Outbound Squad now for us too. So make sure to check that out, blissfulprospecting.com. You can't miss it. There's a tab at the top that says free training, and we'll see you next episode.